Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, you'll hear Reed's story. Reed's dad died by suicide in 2006, and his stepdad died from cancer in 2016. When his stepdad died, Reed thought he was good because he'd already experienced the loss of his father 10 years earlier. He couldn't have been more wrong and struggled with loneliness throughout the journey to healing. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, Reed's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I don't have a daughter with me, but I have Reed Peterson with me. Um, He has a story that he is going to share with us about um, the grief that he's experienced in his life. And Reed and I connected because I looked at a few people that um, Randy from Grief and Grits had interviewed for her lives that she was doing on Instagram and reached out to a few people to ask if they would be willing to share their stories. Because while I do love Daughters Without Moms stories, I also enjoy other stories as well because there's so much loss that's out there. Um, I like hearing different perspectives from different people. And I believe that Reed is very intentional in in his um, grief journey and what he chooses to share with us. So I appreciate him being here today. And uh, as usual, I'm going to kind of turn the mic over to him, let him introduce himself and share his story. And then we will get back together with some questions at the end. So thank you so much, Reed. I appreciate you being here. You're welcome, Beth, and thank you for having me on. Mm -hmm. So my name is Reed. I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, just south of Minneapolis, and um, grew up as a loyal sports Minnesota Vikings fan. And um, there's a lot of grief in that story (laughs) in and of itself, (laughs) but I will refrain from going there today. Uh, grew up in a, a family of uh, blended, well, excuse me, not a blended family. Uh, my mom later remarried and um, with my stepdad, Warren, had uh, two, two sisters, um, the, you know, half sisters legally. But um, I always have thought Molly and Rachel is, uh, you know, my sisters. And so there's five of us kids. And um after, you know, after a while of growing up and things like that and feeling um, kind of packed in like sardines because we were in a small rambler, you know, I, I moved away to college and it was about two, two and a half hours away and um, actually experienced my first significant loss. Um, the My mom's mom, my grandmother died in uh, the second year of my college. And that was a hard one because my grandmother was just really special in my life. Um, I've always been a different kid, um, highly sensitive, but also physically large. So being a boy kind of looked like I had this appearance of like being a tough guy, you know, like, Hey, he can fend for himself. But internally, uh, there was a complicated inner world going on in there. And I think my grandmother showed up um, in ways that just honored Reed, you know, honored the space Reed needed. And 
just kind of nurtured me with unconditional love. And with my mom and my stepdad, uh, my, my mom and dad divorced when I was really young. I was only three. So I don't I actually don't remember ever living with my dad. But with my mom and my stepdad raising myself and my four siblings, there was a lot of stress because there was a lot of activity. And um, both my mom and my stepdad just had jobs they didn't love. <laughs> so there's that um, going on and, you know, got to run this kid to wherever this event is. And, you know, oh, we need groceries and just being overwhelmed with life. So. Uh, coming back to after getting out of the house and going to school, I, I decided it's in my best interest to just have a little bit of a distance from like the home that I grew up in and um, eventually made myself a little bit of distance, became greater distance, eventually found myself out in California and uh, ended up going to graduate school in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, Bay Area. and um, one of the things that happened while I was a, a student working on my master's degree was um, I got a phone call. Um, it was in my first year and it was my brother. He left me a voicemail and he let me know that there had been a death in the family. And he said, dad has died. And it was, uh, it was an utter shock. And at the same time, it wasn't. And I was shocked that it happened because, you know, I probably talked to him a week before he died and he seemed healthy, normal, but it wasn't a shock because for a lot of my adult life, I was anticipating that he would take his life. My dad suffered from post-traumatic stress. My dad suffered from alcoholism and my dad had a really rough life. And uh, there was a lot of struggle, a lot of struggle. And I remember hanging up the phone and I kind of looked up at the sky and I was, at the time I was speaking to my dad and I said, you did it, you SOB. I can't believe you did it. But I had no idea how he died. I just knew that he died. <laughs> and um kind of became like this weird situation as far as cause of death. His death certificate says uh, subdural hematoma, which is uh, part of the cervical spine being severed. And that's the cause of death. But the interesting thing about it is that my dad was all alone in his house at the time that he died. And so um, it, it's arguable that it was a suicide. And um, I remember actually for years thinking my dad died from an accident. Um, and I had a, a script in my head as far as what happened. My dad suffering from post-traumatic stress would have flashbacks from his experiences in Vietnam. And at the time that he did die, he did have alcohol in his system. So his patterns included having uh, or sorry, getting inebriated and then having flashbacks and doing things that were self-harm or something like that. <clears throat> well, 
so I made up the, uh, the story in my head was that this happened and then there was an accident in the house because he actually hit the top of his head um, against a wall, uh, one of his hallway walls. And so, um, so that was that. But I always identified his cause of death as an accident. And um, it actually took me about 10 years um, 10 to 12 years to rethink it and reevaluate it as the truth that he actually took his life, whether it was an accident or not. Um, his choices were what caused his death and his actions, um, his activity too. So, um, so at the time that he died, it was interesting because I went back to where I grew up and uh, my siblings and I, we facilitated his service and his memorial service and his funeral. And I actually felt what was, uh, I would identify as a lot of relief um, for his death. I, I, at that time, I just thought his suffering has ended and I, I just kind of felt like a huge weight was lifted off his shoulders. A huge weight was lifted off my own shoulders because as his son, I would worry about him a lot. And now that, you know, the tragic event had happened, I know I realized I no longer had to worry. And so that's where I think the source of relief came from. But then after, you know, some time of grieving and living my life, continuing with school, I started to realize, like, you know, of course I missed him, but I recognized a lot of guilt, start to uh, fill space inside my skin. And that was really hard. That was really painful. And I don't even know how long. Beth, but I worked through that for quite a few years and I mostly worked through it with counseling and also some of my own self-care activities like um, hiking in nature and going to the beach and just going for long walks and listening and watching the waves. Um, there was something about that that really had a positive impact on my own personal psyche, but I. Um, worked through a lot of the guilt feelings. And then, um, you know, about eight years after his death, my um, stepdad, who was very active in my life, got a terminal diagnosis of multiple myeloma. And so um, there was a lot of uh, trips to the hospital and things like that. And, and I was at a distance, so I wasn't physically there to help. But I was on the phone a lot with Warren, my stepfather, and my mom, and just trying to show up as, you know, a caring, supportive family member and um, offering help in any way I could. And so there was a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, sadness. Uh, my mom was really scared about losing her soulmate. And um, there were times where I definitely could feel that from her 
in kind of in my own empathetic sense. And so there was um, some grieving that regards and, and Warren fought his cancer for eight hard years and um, just was, I honestly perceive him as a champion because um, he got a six month diagnosis or a prognosis. I mean, and so um, to fight as long as he did and, and just to second handed experience what he went through um, just kept thinking to myself, like, you know, if, if there's any true definition of like a soldier, it's, it's what he's doing right now. Cause he is just showing up and fighting for everything um, to live. And I loved hearing from him. He just said, he never really, I don't think I ever remember him saying, I'm going to beat this, but he was so focused. He said he wanted to live another 30 years. Warren, Warren died at 62. And so um, he was just a, an amazing person. Um, so when he died, I thought to myself, well, I've been here. I've been, I've done that. And so, yeah, I'm going to miss Warren and I'm going to feel sad, but I'm going to be okay because my dad died also, you know, I've done this before. And <laughs> that was pretty naive to think that way uh, because I've never felt more loneliness in my life. And, and I'm not really exactly sure how that came about because Warren and I, we were cool and we had a nice, healthy relationship, but honestly, we weren't super tight. Like we weren't like best of buds or anything. And so when the loneliness came on, I'm like, that's very surprising. Um, and yet I did everything I, I could to honor it. And that led me to finding uh, bereavement support groups in my local community with hospice. And that led me to finding a grief counselor and working with a grief counselor. And both were very positive experiences. But at the time, I kept recognizing that the days that I was working with a counselor and the days that I was working with my, or showing up to my bereavement support group were the days that I felt kind of more conscious in my daily activities and less pained by a lot of the emotional distress of what at the time, what felt like sadness and loneliness. And, and then I was like, well, what do I do about the other days? Because there are seven days in a week. And um, that's a lot of time in between. And, and I don't think that many podcasts like yours, Beth, existed at the time. So there wasn't a lot of like programs to listen to. There were books to read, of course, but I actually just didn't find myself resonating with doing a lot of reading at the time. It wasn't, I felt like my heart space was feeling a tremendous void and not necessarily in my head. And, and when I read, I kind of fill my head with information. Uh, my heart just needed more attention 
if you will. And there just wasn't that many tools or there wasn't that many resources. And then over the years of working through that, I just feel like, I don't know, ideas and seeds got planted inside of me. And it eventually led me to looking at providing a tool that could help fill a void when people pained by grief need it. And I ended up developing a, a mobile application actually for grief support, the emotional side of grief support, not the logistics. <laughs> and um, just helping to be like a soothing voice when people need it most. And so that's my story. That's uh, where I came from with grief that deeply impacted me and basically led me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I definitely, when you were talking about Warren being a um, champion and a soldier, I always called my sister a warrior. Um, she fought cancer for 10 years. And at first I said, you know, that she lost the battle with cancer. And I was like, no, that's not right. She didn't. Her body literally just ran out of resources. Her body was depleted. But if a will to live would keep a person alive, she would have been here. Sounds kind of like that Warren was the same way. Like I never heard Amy complain. I never heard, um, you know, she was just always willing to do, you know, whatever they said to keep the journey going. Um, and she was, you know, originally diagnosed with, uh, stage three breast cancer and then lived for almost 10 years. So um, I think uh, the, the soldier and champion and Warren is like the warrior and my sister, Amy. Um, and so did you, one of the things like you said, you never felt any more loneliness in your life um, and that it was, you know, your heart space that was, that was feeling a, a void. Um, would you still now, after all these years of, of being in the grief arena, would you still name that kind of aching in your soul as loneliness? Would you still use I the still same I still would, yeah. 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 yeah, it still resonates. And it's interesting, if I close my eyes and feel into it, I can still feel aspects of it. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't honestly say like, I've either fully worked through it or it has left me or something else that I'm just not aware of. I just feel like it's, it's still accessible, but it's just not as it's not taking up as much space. That's good um, that you've been able to, to fill that space with, with something else. Um, but I know that loneliness has been something I I wrote a blog about it because I'm like, I'm alone. I'm not alone, but I'm lonely. Like I have a, beautiful relationship with my husband. I have great kids. I have a really great supportive community around here, but there are just times when I'm like, man, I feel like an Island. Um, and I think, I think it's important to be able to recognize that, uh, even after so many years and even after being so intentional and that you did everything, you know, to honor that in your life, so, you know, for us, to, for people listening to be able to know that, that it's okay if it's still, creeps in or takes up more space in your skin than some other days, because that's just how it happens. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit more about your app. 
I know what it's called, but I would like for you to, to tell the listeners a little bit more um, about your app and what, what it provides, what the different aspects of it are. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah. The app is called Grief Refuge. And I guess two things come to mind about the app. If anything, the app is a soothing voice. Um, it's mostly audio narrated musings, if you will. Um, some people call them meditations because uh, it kind of has that vibe to it, but there's really no facilitation to meditate. It's really just messaging to help reflect, help gain some perspective, and just help people feel like they can have an experience of calm in the moment if they need it. Uh, that's the first thing. And then the second thing I'll say about it is... Um, Design-wise and also uh, auditorily, it, I'm trying to do my best to bring nature to people. Um, I actually believe that's an impossible feat because it's kind of silly to say that. But at the same time, when I decided to say yes to making this app, I thought to myself, nature is just so powerful in helping humans uh, work through their grief because nature is a constant like regeneration and degeneration. And we, we see so many cycles of life um, continue to fluctuate. And so, it, you know, as far as like, I, I believe in grieving and mourning a loss of someone, they're it's not really a goal or an endpoint, but there's a process of um, getting to a place of reconciliation where it's like kind of making like, it's like kind of like being okay with the devastation of a loss of somebody so significant. As we all know, death is inevitable. And so uh, in the grieving process, like nature can help people indirectly feel like this is that much more natural um, for things to happen. And so I try to bring nature to the experience through sound, uh, sound of nature, as well as the imagery used on the app um, to be that much more calming on, on people's hearts and minds and their souls if they believe they have one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And is there a community within your app like, can members interact with each other or it's solely a one-way communication? Right now it's one way. Um, interesting you asked the question because our team has been discussing to add a feature to make it like, a, it would be called a social wall. So we're exploring that. We don't know if it's a yes or a no right now, as far as making it that way, because there is power in communities being created, but we're still, we're still figuring out or discerning if we were to add that feature to make that available, would that take away the essence of, you know, what the app provides? So we may be testing it, you know, to a small group to determine, but I really appreciate your question because it's important to make sure that, you know, you're not alone in your journey, your, everybody's, you know, experience is that unique, but 
there will be people who can show up and say, you know, I, I care for you, or, you know, I'm, I'm listening, you know, your story matters to me, your loss matters to me. And that's extremely comforting. And so that would be the yes side of adding the feature to the app. And uh, I think we're going to give ourselves about 30 more days to debate it and see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck because I'm as, as, uh, as much as it, you know, the community is, can be a positive aspect for many people. It's a lot more to navigate and manage as well, as far as for ensuring that it maintains this type of um, environment that you're trying to provide within your app. You know, if people are not honoring the way that you want it to be presented, you know, that that's something to navigate and manage that you haven't had to deal with as of yet. So I'm sure that that's part of the conversation and consideration. <laughs> you are spot on. We're going to, we're going to have to invite you to a team meeting. <laughs> Um, and so you also have a podcast and is that, how is that different? The same refuge app, how would you delineate the two? The podcast has been embedded as one of the features of the app. And so the podcast is really intended to help hold conversations. And that's why, you know, I'm grateful for you to uh, ask me to be a guest on your podcast, Beth. I I know the value of storytelling um, from my own experience and also just showing up for hundreds of other people, um, not just digitally, um, like in person through my trainings and through community gatherings. Um, there's really, uh, I actually don't have the words to describe it, but there's, there's, a, there's something extremely empowering when a story is told and it's told to people who do not judge nor do not provide unsolicited advice. <laughs> and that just that space being held um, is powerful. And so that was uh, the yes for making the Grief Refuge podcast available out on the airwaves and helping people tell their stories as well as trying to just provide insight, really. Um, I do see myself as an educator in the, the grief care space. And so I know that a lot of people are looking for a lot of information. And if, if my voice or some of the things that I share as far as insights can be resourced and available to people, then I know that I'm serving my purpose. You do have a very soothing voice, I have to say. I appreciate that you're using it to, you know, put the words out there. And um, I'm, I'm sure that that you're providing a much needed resource in, in the space. And so you have the, the app, you have the podcast. Are there any other aspects of your presence that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, we do have some social media profiles. Um, yeah, Grief Refuge app on Instagram and Grief Refuge on Facebook. I actually, one of the things that we're really excited about um, tying back into the earlier touch points on nature, 
we are going to be facilitating some retreats and uh, we're going to start this fall uh, in October. And um, we're going to be in uh, New Harmony, Indiana, of all places, Southern Indiana, where my business partner, um, she lives in Evansville. So she found a beautiful venue that's going to host, um, we call them grief way retreats. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these we're, we're just very excited and we're very grateful to add that to the calendar again. Um, coronavirus has put a pause on so much um, and we feel comfortable to be providing these now. So we, we are just looking forward to it because I just like, even in grad school, um, small gatherings and groups and very safe and sacred space is so healing. Um, so healing. I, I don't know if I've experienced a greater quality of healing in any type of uh, environment as such as retreats. So we're so looking forward to that <laughs> and excited about it. Awesome. Is it like a long weekend, three days, four days? It's a three-day event. Um, this one actually is going to be midweek. Um, and I, I'm actually blanking on the exact dates right now, but it is listed on the Grief Refuge website. Okay. Awesome. Wow. That sounds amazing. Grief way, a way to live and grieve well. Hmm. Wonderful. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. And I didn't ask you this before we started recording, but I normally do kind of end with a, like a takeaway or something to share. If there's, you know, like one message that you would want to share with the listeners or, or a final thought to share with the audience before we wrap up. What's on my mind now, and forgive me listeners, if I feel like I'm getting in your head a little bit, but is that there's a concept of like, don't believe everything you think. And I know that when you're grieving, like mood is a motivator. And that's ironic because I know a lot of people experience lack of motivation when they're grieving. The point I'm trying to make is if there's a moment where you just feel like you're in the depths of despair and you recognize, if you recognize something in your mind continue to repeat that you know is kind of self-defeating or self-destructive, please be aware that you have a choice to choose to believe that or not. And there's power in that choice. All right. Well, Reed, thank you so much for being here. Um, If you are listening to this while you're walking or in the car, come back and check out the show notes. I'll put the links to all the things that that you offer in the show notes and also the link to the, the retreat this the website with the retreat information that's coming up. Once again, just thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, what you're doing in the grief world. Appreciate it. Thank you, Beth. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. 
As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.